on days other than Good Friday? Is the cross central to your thinking? Is it central to your life? Here's Dr. John Piper with thoughts about the cross. The word cross might mean something you're crucified on, or it might mean a piece of jewelry, or it might mean the last name of somebody you know. But in redemptive historical terms, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He laid himself out voluntarily to be slaughtered on a cross. He breathed his last breath in obedience to the Father so that he was a perfectly righteous substitute. And then he raised himself from the dead. He was taken up, sits at the right hand of God, intercedes for us. When I say the cross, I mean that great redemptive work from incarnation to the installation at God's right hand. Yeah, that's really crucial to see. This is Family Life Today for Friday, July 28th. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Today, we'll look at the implications of the cross, why it still matters for your life 2,000 years later. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Friday edition. You know, Dennis, I don't know that I will ever forget something that I heard our guest today say. I remember where I was. I was driving along on a highway on my way to Mount Ida, Arkansas. I was I was tooling along listening to John Piper on tape, and he was saying that the world is not going to look at Christians in times of prosperity and say, I want to be a Christian because you know what? When Christians are blessed, they say, praise the Lord. And when pagans are blessed, all we say is, boy, wasn't that lucky? He said, no, the world is going to sit up and take notice when we go through adversity and we still have a confidence in God, when we go through trials and when we live the kind of radical life, then the world will say, where does that come from? And I thought, he's right. I am too comfortable. I'm too content. In fact, I should say here at the very beginning, there's a, there needs to be a Surgeon General warning on today's program. Mm-hmm. Today's program will create conviction in your soul and uh, could bring you to a point of personal repentance yourself. Could bring you to the conclusion that you are dangerously close, too close to the world. Yeah, and it might bring you to the point where you need to get more dangerously involved in the gospel. And mm-hmm. so let me introduce the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church and the person who has brought me under conviction many times, John Piper, who is back with us for a third day. Welcome back to Family Life Today. Thanks. I'm real glad to be here. And this book, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, you felt so strongly about this book, you went to the publisher and said, I want to give 50,000 copies of this book away. Yeah, we created a website just to give it away called Don't Waste Your Life. You can go there now, but we don't give them away anymore because people took them. And we got a special deal because we, we just wanted to jumpstart the uh, the impact of the book and give them any as way as we could. So we raised the money and uh, and people took them. Gave away 50,000. Do you have any idea, any of the stories of folks who who wrote to get a copy of this book? Not yet. John, at the end of the broadcast yesterday, we challenged the listener to consider writing a title deed mm. and and transferring ownership over to Jesus Christ to become a, a disciple, a learner, a follower, a pursuer of God and his agenda for their lives. 
And, and this is really at the core of what don't waste your life is all about. In fact, you quote 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 as, as really one of the seminal passages in the New Testament, calling people to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ. Yeah. The link that I heard when you ended the program that way was between signing your life off so that it belongs now to another and the glory of God, which is the ultimate value of the universe and the value that we live to display. And the link is made there in that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, because Paul says, uh, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies, which are God's. So he made the link between being owned by God and glorifying God. And so I think you're absolutely right. Every person should be challenged to sign the title of their lives over to another who will not then say, ah, now I have a slave. He will say, no longer do I call you slaves. I call you friends. And now come on, let's live together to magnify my glory in the world, thus says the Lord. So that was the link I heard, and I thought it was crucial because the cross is right at the center of this book. And that's what I thought it might be helpful to think about a little bit. In what, in what way is the cross center? Because this book grew out of uh, the one-day event in Memphis, Tennessee in two, the year 2000, I mm. think it was, where I delivered... Uh, a message called Boasting Only in the Cross and told the illustration of the shells and so on that we talked about a couple of days ago. That message was taken from Galatians 6.14, which says, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. And I raised the question, really? I mean, how can you only boast in the cross, only glory, only enjoy the cross. What what about your family? What about your health? What about your job? I mean, aren't these good things that the Lord has given us? Shouldn't we be glad that we have them? And my answer was, yes, you should be glad that you have them, but you should realize that as a sinner, you only have them Mm -hmm. to enjoy forever because Christ died to take away the penalty of judgment and to become your righteousness, and to become your sacrifice. So the cross is relevant for every single delight in my life. If it's a beautiful blue sky day outside and I have eyes to see it, I should be glad because of the cross. Because apart from the cross, I'd be in hell today. He would snuff me out of existence because I deserve to be judged. So the cross really is an absolutely central reality in everything I think about and everything we all do. And the passage that commands us as followers after Christ to take up our cross and follow after him, what do you think he's challenging us to do at that point, John? If if the cross is to be central and we're focusing on Christ's finished work, the love that is poured out there, the grace, forgiveness, the purpose, the peace with God, the relationship with God, all that's found in the cross. Mm-hmm. And he commands us to pick up our own cross. It seems to me at points it's almost like the fine print in the contract. It's like, now that he's got me, hello, there's a cross that I must carry. Yeah, the whole text, in fact, uses the words deny. If anyone would be my disciple, deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. But the argument that he gives following that verse is, for he who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will find it, and you do want to find it, don't you? Therefore, lose it. Mm -hmm. So you get this paradoxical call from the Lord saying, look, I have come to give you life. I will give you everlasting joy in my presence at my Father's right hand if you join me on the Calvary road of self-denial and love. Now, what does that mean? I think it means assess all the things that stand in the way of making Jesus look more valuable than life and get rid of them. In other words, it might be your car, it might be your house, it might be the job you presently have. Whatever is standing between you and an effective display of the superior worth of Jesus in your life, let it go. That's what I think self-denial is. Isn't it interesting how we as believers can find something or someone or some activity that we enjoy and become enslaved to? other than God. Hmm. It's just fascinating to me. He made us to know him, walk with him, enjoy him, uh, interact with him. And yet it's as though we're running from the hound of heaven in pursuit of all these different things. Even the ministry, and you've experienced this as a pastor, I'm sure, even the ministry can be addictive. Right, it can be. And how to move away from that without contradicting the goodness of creation is a challenge Uh because most of the idols that we have are good. They just shouldn't be idols. And so to move away from them, you can swing to the ascetic side where you become a creation-denying person. And you know who I got a lot of help from on that is St. Augustine. And it's a prayer that he made. He said, he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. I found that very helpful because it's saying anything can be an idol. Any good thing can be an idol. He loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee. And then he qualifies it by saying, which he loves not for thy sake, which means that any good thing that is an idol can be deposed from its idolatrous position and become an instrument of worship. So you might be worshiping food, and the solution to that is not to starve yourself to death with an eating disorder, but rather to say it's a precious gift from God to be used in moderation for the joy it brings and the strength it brings, and I will now turn all my eating back in thanks and worship to God and eat in moderation. That's the kind of thing that he wants the shift to involve. We started talking about not the cross that we pick up and carry, but about the one that he carried for us. I don't know that I go through the day consciously aware of the cross. Is that something that comes to mind on a conscious level for you hour by hour throughout a day? I wish it came more often. I, I, I think, to be honest there, I'd have to say no. But my, my prayer is that when, when Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, exalt, boast, rejoice, 
save in the cross. He meant, I think, number one, the cross bought all my joys as a believer. It bought all my joys. Therefore, as I rejoice in anything, that joy should be attached to the cross. It doesn't, I'm sure, have to consciously be at every moment, Mm. but probably more often than we do. If we could realize the magnitude in history, in the universe, of what happened when Christ, the Son of God, died in the place of sinners and provided a righteousness for us ungodly people, I think we would be more ravished with it than we are, and it would be more constant in our thinking than it is. So, to be honest, no, but to express my longing, I wish it were. Mm-hmm. And and so, for you, when you say, I, I want to glory in the cross, I want to focus on the cross, I want to be caught up in the cross, you're caught up with the presence of God, his righteousness, his incarnation, his death on the cross on behalf of your sins, his burial and resurrection and ascension into heaven. Have I, have I done a good job of paraphrasing or describing what you're caught up with as we describe the cross? Because a lot of people wear it as jewelry. That's right. And it's an event. That's, it's not just an event, though, is it, John? That's a very helpful observation for the radio, especially because the word cross might mean something you're crucified on, or it might mean a piece of jewelry, or it might mean the last name of somebody you know. But you summed it up in redemptive historical terms. That's right. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world. He lived a perfect life, becoming a holy, perfect Lamb of God. He laid himself out voluntarily to be slaughtered on a cross. He poured out his forgiveness on us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He breathed his last breath in obedience to the Father so that he was a perfectly righteous substitute. And then he raised himself from the dead. I say that even though the Father raised him, it says in Romans 6, because he said, nobody takes my life from me. I'll lay it down. And if I lay it down, I can take it again. Jesus Almighty raised himself from the dead. He was taken up, sits at the right hand of God, intercedes for us. When I say the cross, I mean that great redemptive work from incarnation to the installation at God's right hand. Yeah. That's really crucial to see. And to that person who's listening to us right now, who does not have the awe, who does not have the wonder, who looks at the cross and said, yeah, that was an event in history, but who doesn't know the Savior, who doesn't know God's forgiveness, the peace with God that passes all understanding, what would you say to that person right now? Depending on how much they know... I would say get to know him by looking at the scriptures, reading the gospels, and once you see him crucified, risen, then do what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you say believe on him, what does that mean? What does that involve? Believe on him. I would say take these three words. It means trust him or accept him or embrace him as Savior from your sin and judgment, as Lord of your life who has the right to dictate what is healthy and good and right for you to do, 
And the third, and maybe just as important as the other three, is embrace him as your treasure. Because I find that many people today will talk about Jesus as Savior or Jesus as Lord, and it's such worn-out language, they don't really realize the impact it must have in the transformation of their values. But when I say, is he your treasure? Are you accepting him as your treasure? To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. Receive him as what? And I say, treasure, the treasure of your life. Then they say, whoa, maybe he's not. And so I would say to every listener, get to know him well enough to see that he is a savior. He is a wonderful Lord. He's not a hard taskmaster, and he is a treasure that is so valuable that you can let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, and you can live a radical, God-glorifying lifestyle because he's the treasure that will never fail. We have people listening from all types of denominations, and when you just went through what you explained, immediately they thought, well, do I need to pray? to be able to move into that right relationship with God? Do I need to kneel? Do I need to go to a church or a cathedral? Where do I need to go? How do I go about establishing this right relationship with God? One of the most beautiful things to me about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world is that he delocalized and de-externalized worship. Because when he met the woman at the well and she said, well, now, help me to understand this worship issue, Jesus. Do we worship in this mountain or do we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, the day is coming and now is when you will not worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you will worship in spirit and in truth. Notice the shift in categories from geography to spirit. And the reason he shifted from mountain and Jerusalem to truth and spirit is because truth and spirit can be anywhere, anytime. In fact, Jesus himself becomes the new temple. Christianity is the one religion that has no geographic center. We have no shrine. You don't have to go anywhere or move one single muscle to get right with God through Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is here now whenever he's called upon. And so I would say, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved, mm-hmm. Romans ten thirteen. And you can do that without moving your tongue. A paralyzed person lying in bed, unable to move eyelash or tongue, can call upon the name of the Lord in their heart. And he promises you call upon me as Savior, as Lord, as treasure, and you have all your sins forgiven, and you will have a righteousness imputed to you. You'll have a home in heaven with me forever because you've just honored me as a great Savior. Hmm. And what I would say to the listener after the compelling picture you've presented to them, of the love of God poured out in the person of Jesus Christ after we've spent an entire broadcast describing the cross and how attractive it is. If right now that picture, the person of Jesus Christ and all the cross represents is attractive to you as Savior, Lord, and treasure right now, don't drive another mile. Don't do another activity at work or at home or wherever you are listening to this broadcast. Right now, stop and, um, and make it right with God. Mm-hmm. Do business with him. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I would just add 
when you use the word attractive, they're going to feel that as yes and no, aren't they? Because uh-huh. the, cross they sure is, the cross is horrific. Yeah. It is ugly. In fact, we've seen it recently in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's really ugly. Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ portrays Gethsemane and the cross for what it really was. Mm-hmm. And yet in that very substitutionary ugliness is the attraction. I mean, my only hope is that that didn't happen to me. It happened to him mm-hmm. for me. And so I'm both repulsed by it. I've talked to people who say they can't watch more than a third of that movie. Mm-hmm. It's so horrible. And yet others are drawn to that movie because that it happened is my only hope. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I hope that my effort to describe the meaning of that suffering will really help people see what that's all about. You know, I was uh, in the audience with about 3,000 others back in April when you spoke at the Together for the Gospel conference in Louisville. And you talked about how the cross is really the centerpiece of the gospel. And if we're going to present the gospel, we have to present the reality of the cross. And if that's the centerpiece of our life, then our life is not going to be a wasted life. I I really want to encourage our listeners, get a copy of John's book, Don't Waste Your Life, which we have in our Family Life Resource Center. This would be a good book to read together with your teenagers over the summer uh, or just hand it off to them as a reading assignment and pay them $15, $20, whatever it takes to get them to read it. Maybe there's some other incentive you can use to get them to go through this book and have them write a book report on it and uh, report back to you on what they learned from the book. We have it again in our Family Life Resource Center. Go to our website, familylife.com, and in the center of the homepage, you'll see a little button that says Go. Click on that button. It'll take you right to the page where you can get more information about John's book, Don't Waste Your Life. You can order online if you'd like. Again, it's familylife.com. Or you can call 1-800-358-6329. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. And someone on our team can let you know how you can have a copy of this book sent out to you. I've already mentioned this week that uh, my daughter had a chance to hear you speak at one of the Passion Conferences a few years ago. In fact, she heard you twice. One year in, I think it was in Texas, and the next year was in Tennessee. And um, she brought back CDs, and I listened to them as well. And uh, both of us profited from your teaching ministry during those conferences. And uh, she also heard Beth Moore speak at those same events with you and was struck by Beth's passion that our lives would be uh, cross-centered, spiritually centered. And Dennis, you and I had the opportunity to talk to Beth uh, several months ago. We talked about her marriage and her family. She's been married to her husband, Keith, for 25 years. And of course, tens of thousands of women have done her Bible studies in churches all around the country. Uh, Our conversation with her I described it to my wife later and said she was one of the most highly caffeinated people I've ever met. It was an energetic conversation, a lot of fun. And this month, we'd like to make a CD of that conversation available to any of our listeners who can help support the Ministry of Family Life today with a donation of any amount. We are a listener-supported ministry, and we depend on your financial support in order to continue the Ministry of Family Life today. If you can help us with a donation of any amount, you can request the CD of our conversation with Beth Moore. You can go online at familylife.com, fill out the donation form that you find there. As you do that, you'll come to a key code box, 
And if you type the word free into that key code box, we'll know that you're interested in getting a copy of the CD with Beth Moore. Or call us at 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Make a donation over the phone and again mention you'd like the CD with Beth Moore and we'll be happy to send it out to you. It's our way of saying thanks for your financial support of the Ministry of Family Life today. We appreciate hearing from you. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. Hope you and your family are able to worship together this weekend. And I hope you can be back with us on Monday when we're going to begin to look at the kind of a foundation that needs to be poured underneath a family to make sure that it grows to become a spiritually strong family. I hope you can join us to be part of that conversation. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.